0: How are you doing, everybody? Yeah, so here's the deal. We're kind of in the new auditorium, which is kind of cool, and some of the technology has not yet reached shalom, okay? So we just need to pray for that. We did um, extend our intermission, if you noticed, from five minutes to eight minutes, and what this means is that when the nursery workers rise up against me because we went three minutes long, you all are my witnesses it wasn't my fault, okay? There we go, because those babies get crazy yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, um, I was going to start uh, with a movie clip today from one of my favorite movies of all time, Back to the Future 2. Who's with me on this? You know the movie? Yeah. I mean, the, it, to me, it's practically the perfect movie. You've got Marty McFly, Biff Tannen, Doc Brown, 1.21 gigawatts. Exactly. I mean, that, it's a great movie, and for me, I think cinematic excellence peaked in the mid-1980s, okay? And if you're a millennial, I'm sorry, you just missed it, all right? Uh, But actually, this summer, I was in a Walmart in a little town in the mountains of North Carolina called Spruce Pine, and it was raining, so I was trying to kill time with my kids. I took them to the toy section, and as we came out of the toy section, there was one of those DVD bins with all the loser DVDs in it, you know what I'm talking about, that no one wants, and I look in there, and I mean like a ray of sunshine from heaven, friends, a Back to the Future trilogy for $17, as in all three of them, and my second kid, Parker, looked at me and said, Dad. What's that? And I realized I am a failure as a parent. And so we bought it. I didn't even call my wife, we just did it. We bought it. I know, right? And so we watched these movies and they learned words they had never heard before. And that was, because it was the 80s and that was the deal. But the scene I wanted to show you was the opening scene of Back to the Future 2 where Marty and his girlfriend, Jennifer, are standing in front of their garage, looking at the new truck. Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, totally lost. That's okay. When all of a sudden, Doc Brown swings in, knocks over trash cans with his time-traveling DeLorean. And he gets out. He tells them he's actually just returned from the future, and he needs to take them back to the future because, well, they're fine in the future. They get married. Everything's great. But they're kids. Something has to be done about their kids. And as the movie unfolds, we find out there was a moment in their lives when their life split off into a very destructive trajectory. There was a moment when everything started to go south. And so Doc Brown wants to give Marty and Jennifer a chance to do things over with regards to their kids, to do things right. And it's a great, great premise for a movie, and you all should watch it tonight. I promise, right? Yeah, but it's also a great launch pad for us today because I'm convinced that all of us have moments we wish we could do over. This is where you do the Christian moo. Mm, Like that, give it a try. Yeah, that's how that goes, right? Maybe we did something, we acted, and we wished we hadn't acted. Maybe we didn't do something, we stood by the sidelines when something happened and we could have intervened and we didn't and we still think about it. Maybe we compromised on something that we knew we shouldn't and we've been paying the price ever since. And if we had access to a time machine, then that's where we would go. More than a few of us have whole seasons of life we wish we could do over. We got hurt and then subsequently hurt other people because we were operating out of the hurt done to us. Or maybe we developed a habit in response to the hurt that one day at a time took us to a place where we never wanted to be. I mean, this can be true financially, this can be true relationally, this can be true physically, this can be true spiritually. And when we look back at the timeline of our lives, it's almost like, if we're thinking about it, we know the moment when, like, the timeline veered off. Just like Doc Brown, I brought a screenshot. This is where he's talking to them about where everything sort of went south. Isn't that great? Kind of looks like a film noir movie. Look, I brought French up. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, we all have those moments when we look back and we can see the moment when the trouble started all of which brings me to a great question which y'all should talk about over burritos at lunch and don't everybody go for burritos there'd be a long line but okay here's the question if you had a time traveling DeLorean what moment of your life would you return to in order to change history what would it be for you and it's a great question but if we're honest we know we can't go back we can only learn from our mistakes in the past and try to do better moving forward And that, friends, is what this series is all about. We're in week four of a series called Creating Your Future, and it revolves around a question that I first showed you in the tent. It seems like so long ago, but it wasn't, right? Uh, The question goes like this. What do you want? What do you want? we said we all have an answer to that question, but often the first thing that surfaces isn't always the best thing that surfaces. We've noted so far that what you want naturally in life isn't often what you want ultimately in life. What you want ultimately in life are, are, are things, matters of character, things like being a person of integrity, being a person of generosity being a a person who is a force for good on planet Earth. That's what we want for ourselves in the end, and often what we want in a moment actually moves us away from that goal. We've also discovered last week, and, and this surprised a whole bunch of us, especially if you grew up in church, but God actually wants for you the same things you ultimately want for you. And he's actually offered to partner with you to build your preferred future. Your preferred future happens when you submit your will in a moment to his will for you in that moment. And every time you do that, and it's, it's a rhythm of life, but every time you do that, you take a step towards building your preferred future. You say to God, I will do what you want me to do even when I don't want to. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, even when my heart is telling me to trust it, Even then, I will trust you. And that seems crazy for so many of us until we consider the fact that our heart has so often betrayed us. Something that felt like a good idea in that moment didn't in the end end up being a good idea. So, so far in this series, we've been working a bit abstractly, and I've given you some really interesting things to think about. I keep running into you guys at like Starbucks and Meyer, and you're like, this stuff has just been so helpful as I think about my life. And maybe you've even felt challenged to make some massive changes in your life. But today, what I want to do is talk to you about how you can activate that potential for positive change in your life. I want to talk to you about how to get from here or your present reality to there, wherever it is you want to go. That's why I titled the talk from here to there. I was really excited about it. I don't know if you were, but I was. It was a good week for me with the title thing, right? Yeah. So how do you move from here to there? How do you move from where you are to where you want to be? So With our time today, I want to explore one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And if you've been around here at all, you know, man, that dude has a lot of favorite passages in the New Testament. But but fear not. See, that goes with the turf, right? That's a good thing if your pastor likes the Bible, generally speaking. So um, I love this passage because it's so incredibly practical and incredibly true. And I've seen the power of the principle that we find in this passage work out in my own life. And I've seen it work out in the lives of people that I love. I've seen it work out in the lives of... Of my friends and, and so once you see it, um, you'll see that it points us past once again what we want naturally, to help build us the life that we want ultimately. And the passage is found in a letter written to early Christians living in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was the third largest city in the ancient world. It was a major hub of trade. It was a port city in the Roman Empire. And here's something I've never said before about Ephesus, if you've been with us for a while. Ryan King on our anthem team is actually in Ephesus right now. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So... Yeah, so we'll be praying for him. The whole currency thing's a little scary, but that's okay. He's having a good time, and uh, he is gathering a whole bunch of stuff. And actually, in two weeks, he will be on this stage on Sunday morning unleashing upon you. So it's going to be like a fire hose because he's learning some really cool stuff. But anyway, uh, Ephesus was a major port city in the ancient world. Consequently, it was a minefield of temptation for the people who lived there. This is a picture of the market or the agora in Ephesus. It was the size of two football fields. This is in the ancient world. You could buy anything in the markets of Ephesus. You could even buy people in the markets of Ephesus. It was the center for the slave trade for the Roman Empire. And, And against all odds, in this major metropolitan area, a Jesus community begins to form and begins to grow. And the pastor who planted that community, who spent three years living in that community, a pastor by the name of Paul, later writes a letter back to these Christians in Ephesus, encouraging them how to live now that they've said yes to Jesus in the middle of a world that is trying to pull them in all sorts of dangerous directions. And so he basically calls them in this letter to submit their will to God's will for their lives. And he talks about in the, uh, right before the passage that we're going to study, Paul has just enumerated the many things that used to be part of their lives that are now out of bounds because they've said yes to Jesus. And that means trusting him about where life is found here and now. So here's what Paul says. We're jumping in in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Let me unpack that. You know, Be careful with your life, what you choose to do, what you choose not to do. Don't simply do what you want to do in a given moment. Don't do what everyone else is doing because that doesn't necessarily work out well either. Live purposefully, live intentionally, live carefully. Another translation of this passage reads this way, look carefully how you walk or look carefully where you step. And whenever I come to this word in the Greek, I always think of Mackinac Island. You been there? Yeah, okay, so when I was 11 years old, my parents took us on the pilgrimage to Mackinac Island, right? And we took a boat, and then we got to walk on streets, and we got to eat fudge. And I remember my dad uh, said to me and my brother and my best friend who was along for the ride, he goes, guys, here's what you gotta know about Mackinac. Just two things. One, fudge. Two, road apples. (laughs) Okay, maybe you are unaware. Road apples are left by horses, as they walk along the streets of Mackinac Island, but they are not apples. This is important, okay? (laughs) And the reason you have to be aware of the road apples is that you will step in the road apples and then you will carry the scent of Mackinac Island with you as you continue into the fudge shop, right? And so I paid attention. I was like, got it. Watch where you step. Understood. My friend was kind of, well, he wasn't the sharpest crayon in the box. Okay? You know what I'm saying? And so about five minutes after this, this come to Jesus, talk about road apples, he steps in this massive road apple pile thing, right? And then he had to walk five paces behind us for the rest of the day. That's what we did. But we still love him. It's all right. Yeah? So that's kind of the image Paul is giving us. He says, be careful then how you walk. Be careful where you step or you're going to make a mess of your life. And to be careful means to look ahead. It means to look down the path. And it's like he says if you don't you're going to end up where you don't want to be. And again they lived in a city that was full of temptation and a culture that was pulling them in all sorts of dangerous directions. So powerful image surfaces in the next section. Paul says be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. And the Bible speaks a ton about living wisely. It's what God wants for all of us. Wisdom comes in the Jewish mind when we connect our choices with the consequences, because choices always come prepackaged with consequences. Sin always comes prepackaged with consequences. So he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And again, wisdom is when we connect choices and consequences, when we never stop to count the cost of our decisions, we're living unwisely. And pastors see this all the time. This is like part of like pastor life um, because no one calls Randy and I when things are going well. <laughs> no offense, right? And it's okay, that's, that's part of our job. But whenever, no one ever has called me and said, hey, life is grand, kids are great, marriage is going swimmingly, just wanted to say hello. Okay, that just is not, those are not the calls we get at the office. Pastors are a bit like an emotional triage team. We get called when life falls apart. And again, that's not a bad thing. It's just an observation. But it really helps us get a lot of clarity about the fact that choices have consequences. Just three examples from the past year. I think of a father of three who came to see me, and he had been on a business trip, and he had sort of literally stumbled into a one-night stand. And his wife had found out, and he sat down, tears in his eyes, and said, I don't know what to do. My marriage my marriage is on life support, critical condition. You know, wh- 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 what do I do? And we talked about this. He said, I just... I knew it was wrong. I, just, I, I, guess I, didn't, I guess I didn't count the cost. That, that's what he said. I guess I didn't count the cost. Or I think of another woman who had a habit of pulling out her credit card to numb the pain of regret that she carried with her every day. We call it retail therapy. It's like a thing, right? And a and, you know, little retail therapy every once in a while isn't that big a deal. But for her, it became a habit and then an addiction And she spent a lot of time cruising the mall, which if you're a guy, you're like, how do you even do that? I don't understand. You know, who needs more shoes? I don't. Whatever. But anyway, this was her thing. And she reached a point where she opened a credit card bill, and she hadn't done that for a while. She opened a credit card bill, and there was this moment where it's like, I... I don't think I can ever dig myself out of the hole that I dug myself into. I don't think there's a way out. Or maybe climb out. You don't dig out of a hole that goes deeper. Anyway, right? Yeah. So it's a bad metaphor. Yeah. So like, what? I don't even know what to do. So she called me because obviously I am swimming in cash. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. You know? She, she said, I, I don't know what to do. I guess when I've got in this habit, I, I never counted the cost. Or I think of um, a teenager who came to visit me a little over a year ago and and he and his girlfriend had, had gone to homecoming, which is a good thing, right? I mean, homecoming, if you win the football game and have a good dance, it's great. But then after the homecoming, you know, they did things that they kind of had thought they wouldn't do. And they found themselves having to make decisions that were impossible at 17 years old. And, and where do we go from here? And, and, and they didn't use the words, but, but the choices that they made of their free will had consequences. And those consequences were costly. And so Paul is encouraging his readers. He says, listen, count the cost of your decisions. Live wisely. In fact, wisdom should be the filter through which you make your decisions. We'll come back to that in the end. So Paul continues. So he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Paul says, maybe you've never thought about it this way, but your life is a never-ending stream of opportunity. You always have the power to redirect the trajectory of your life. Every day is full of opportunity. And Paul says, you need to make the most of those opportunities because some of these opportunities will move you in the direction of your preferred future. Some of these opportunities will move you away from your preferred future. Make the most of them. Life is short. Maximize the opportunities that you have. And then he gives us this. Because, he says, the day's Are evil, which is really an encouraging thought. Thanks, Paul. Right, like the days are evil, and Paul gives them a powerful insight here. He says, you know, if if you let the current of the Ephesian culture of two thousand years ago carry you, the current, the culture is like a river, right? And you're in it. Even you didn't choose to be in it; you were born in it, or you moved into it. But all of a sudden, that current of culture is going somewhere. And you're surrounding yourself with people that are doing things and if enough people around you are doing things and those things feel normal, even if they're not good or wise or helping you build the sort of life you actually want to live in. So he says, be very careful. The days are evil and if you just sort of don't think about it and drift along in culture, pick up your feet and let the current carry you, you're going to end up somewhere you probably don't want to be. You didn't choose to be in it, but you got to choose to step out of it. If you lift up your feet and move with the current of culture relationally, if you let your friends around you determine what a relationship looks like with a kid or with a spouse, you may end up at a place you don't want to be relationally. If you lift your feet up and move with the current of culture financially, you're going to probably end up over-leveraging debt to build a life for yourself that isn't ultimately sustainable. You'll look back and wonder, like, how did I get here? This isn't what I wanted. This principle is also true when you think about your health. You think about your work life, right? If you just do what everyone else is doing, you may not get where you want to be because the culture isn't always tipped in your favor. And Paul says there's strong cultural currents that take us down dangerous paths. Consequently, you can't be careless. You can't go with the flow. The days are evil. You have to be careful. Live with wisdom. Make the most out of every opportunity. Now, as Paul, everything Paul has said so far... Works great whether or not you're a person of faith, whatever you think about Jesus. If you're here and you've heard it so far, I'm so glad you're here. If you apply that, it will, your life will work better. It really will. As he continues, though, he leans in specifically to Christians who were his original audience. Here's what he says: He says, Therefore, do not be foolish. So then we see the foolish language again. But he says, understand what the Lord's will is. And he's speaking of Jesus. He says, understand what Jesus' will is for your life. And I put the but in all caps because of something in the Greek language. Because I had to study Greek for two years to be a blessing to you. So there you go. You get to hear a little bit of Greek every once in a while. I will keep the nerd turned down most of the time. In Greek, there are two words that can be translated but. And the strongest one is the one Paul uses here. He's trying to make a huge contrast. So this is like a big but. It's a huge but. Just got to make sure you're paying attention there. Got it. Welcome back, if you were drifting. All right, yeah. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't make excuses. Don't pretend you didn't know. Tell yourself the truth. In other words, Christians, you already know what you ought to do. If we're honest, you know where the current of culture is going. You know it's not going anywhere good. You know one thing leads to another. So he's like, listen, guys, quit talking yourself into things you should be talking yourself out of. And quit talking yourself out of things you should be talking yourself into. Face up to the fact that you already know what God's will is for your life. And then do it. Do it. Now, that's the section of verses I want to explore with you today. But I want to spin back a verse because I want to land By looking at something we hinted at before, I think the thrust of what Paul is trying to say is in verse 15. He says this Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And I think what Paul is suggesting here for all of us is that the litmus test for every decision that we make, for every opportunity we consider, for every invitation we accept, isn't what is everyone else doing. And it isn't what did I do last time. And it isn't, what can I get away with? Instead, the question that he suggests, that I think would be brilliant for us all to employ on a regular basis, the question he suggests that should be the filter for everything you do, it goes like this. What is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing for me to do? And for the next few minutes, I want to tease that out in three dimensions because we started with back to the future. So baby, we're talking past, present, and future. So here we go. Okay, <clears throat> note takers rejoice. Number one, in light of my past experiences, in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing for me to do? See, your past is not my past. So what may be okay for you to do may not be okay for me to do because of my past. So you got to consider what is wise based on your personal wiring and disposition. What happened last time you went? What happened the last time she called and you called her back? What happened the last time you spent the night? What happened the last time you said no? What happened the last time you snuck out? In light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing for me to do? It's like, do you know why for you history keeps repeating itself over and over again? It's because we don't ask the question. We'll do the same unwise things and expect a different result. But that isn't how life works. You can't manage the outcome. You can only manage the choices. So Paul says, in light of your past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? What, what, and not what's even the right thing to do. This is a better question than that. Or not what's the legal thing to do. This is a better question than that too. Out of your past experiences, what is the wise thing for you to do in this moment with this opportunity. And this is such a great question because what was a little foggy and fuzzy becomes suddenly clear. Like we know what we need to do. Now we still need to have the courage to actually do it, but this question really will burn out the fog. That's number one. Second question is similar. In light of my current circumstances or my present reality, what is the wise thing to do? See, maybe for you, you just got married and things are new now, right? So what's the wise thing for you to do? I know you used to do that with your friends. I know you used to take every Tuesday night and stay out late and do that thing. I know you used to hang out regularly with friends of the opposite sex one-on-one. But see, this is different than that. This is a new day. In light of where you are right now, what's the wise thing to do? And to be clear, it's not that you made a mistake every time you did what you did before. It wasn't necessarily wrong at all, but things have changed. It's different now. Maybe uh, college is starting this week and last semester didn't end well. And uh, you've been thinking about it all summer and everyone else you know because it's college and everyone else is gonna move into the dorm and take it really easy and party really hard for the first three weeks and then really start to buckle down. But you're like, this that normally would be okay for me, but man, spring didn't land well. I need to start strong. And so even though it may be a permissible thing, it may not be the wise thing for you to do right now. Now, in light of your current circumstance, what's the wise thing to do? Or maybe this. You just started a new job, or you just moved, or you just had your first baby, or you just had your second baby, or you just had your third baby, or you just had your fourth baby like me, and you're like, what am I doing? Right? No. Um, Yeah. Um, Or you're trying to get out of debt, or your mom's going through a tough time. And this isn't a question of right or wrong, legal or illegal. This isn't what everyone else is doing. This is what's the wise thing for you right now. Now? Isn't that a great question? And it brings like this extreme and uncomfortable clarity. Um, Yeah, and now now, perhaps the best question of all, um, and that goes like this, and this is where we'll land today. In light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? And most of us are old enough to know that we've already traded away some of our future hopes and dreams um, because we've pursued immediate gratification or we've traded part of our financial future for something we want now or we've traded part of our purity for a momentary pleasure and, and now we know that that's always a bad trade and that's why I think Learning from that and looking forward is such a powerful thing to do because this question, you know, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? This question alone has the power to alter the trajectory of your life. You don't have a time-traveling DeLorean, though that would be sweet, okay? Um, you don't, have, But you can move forward and with wise choices build the sort of future you want to live into. Friends, this is right at the heart of what Jesus came to do. He came to people who believed they had gone too far and done too much and that God was done with them and God doesn't want to be with anyone like them. Jesus comes, God's son, the creator in flesh, walks among us and goes to people who thought that God wanted nothing to do with them and invites them to follow and forgives them and says, this whole thing is about grace. God loves you and he hates sin Not because it breaks his law, but because it breaks his heart. Because he loves you and he wants the best for you. And so whatever puddle of life you're sitting in, would you stand and take that next step and just follow me? Take the next right step from whatever the present reality. And this is why the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, has always been a message of hope. That God isn't through with you and he isn't through with me. He actually wants us to be in relationship with him. He sent Jesus to make things right by dying on the cross. But before Jesus died, he gave us this incredible message and this incredible invitation. I don't, he said, I don't just want to upgrade your afterlife. I want to help you live the best sort of life right now. And unbelievably and paradoxically, that comes when you say no to you and you say yes to God even though it's going to cost you a little in the moment, in the long run, it is the only thing that makes sense because he made you and he knows you and he loves you. He wants the best for you. So not only in light of your future hopes and dreams, but in light of God's ultimate hopes and dreams for you, and they are ultimately the same. What is the wise thing to do? It's it's like whenever I get around this concept I think, man, I'm so thankful that I learned this when I did. I wish I had learned this earlier. And if you're here and you're like in high school, I mean, if you started to live this way, you would save yourself from so much pain. And there will be moments that you feel like it's costing you so much, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's always worth it to follow God. Always worth it to follow God. And if you're ever fuzzy on it, just talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents. I mean, I know they were perfect. That was a joke, right? But just talk to them and say, hey, what's the worst thing? What's your greatest regret? And parents, just, they, you know, they have permission to ask. You can always dodge it, but there you go, right? What's your greatest regret? And learn from those of us who've gone before you. If you learn to ask this question, you'd be better, you'll be better off financially, you'll be better off emotionally, you'll be better off ethically. <laughs> See, that, that, and again, that's, that's, what God, that's what God wants for you. I'll land with our big idea for today goes like this. Your preferred future is built one wise decision at a time. And wherever you find yourself this morning, you need to know that your heavenly father has a plan for you moving forward and you haven't disqualified yourself. It just starts by getting up from the puddle of life that you're in, maybe asking for some help and then moving forward. Would you stand and I'll close us in prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving this ancient letter. And we confess once again um, how deeply it reads us as we read it. I pray for friends that came into this space with a heavy heart and a lot of regret and maybe came because the room was new and they wanted to see it but maybe something in these ancient words spoke to them maybe you spoke to them and you just conveyed that you're not done with them yet that you desire to partner with them to move forward and that whatever's in the past is in the past and so once again we thank you for grace we thank you for second chances we thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that you sent your son to communicate the depth of that love. We thank you that you're for us. And I pray that as we, as we take some steps in faith, as we turn away from some stuff that we naturally want to do and we start chasing after Jesus, I pray that we would find you faithful and that with each step, our trust in you grows and that over time we can, we can surrender more and more and more and more to your will for our lives. And as we do, we experience you as our heavenly father. And so we thank you. We bless you. We love you and desire to love you more. In the matchless name of your son, Jesus, the name above all names, the only name worthy to be praised, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Friends, grace and peace to you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.